What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Chat It Up podcast. As always, I'm your host, Shooter, bringing you interviews, news, and reviews about all things Upper Peninsula. I've got a really great episode for you this week, so we'll just jump right into it. And as always, we will start things off with This Day in Uper History, which is brought to you by the good folks at Pasty.com. That's P-A-S-T-Y dot com and the Pasty Central Facebook page. So here is December 17th, this day in Uper history. December 17th, Pasty Central's Day in History. Over time, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan has been shaped by many individuals who played an active role in its development. One early developer, born about the time the iron and copper boom began, was Donald C. McKinnon, a son of Scottish immigrants who came to Marquette at the end of the Civil War. McKinnon worked as a carpenter for 12 years, with a growing interest in real estate. Gaining control of the undeveloped lands in present-day Iron County, McKinnon founded and planted the town of Iron River and worked to bring the railroad to its mining operations. In 1884, this was the wedding day of Donald McKinnon and his bride, Miss Belle Steele, a daughter of the early settlers of Saginaw, Michigan. Pasty Central Day in History, December 17th. Another huge thank you to the folks over at Pasty.com and the Pasty Central Facebook page for making that segment possible. It's time for this week's interview, and it's one that I'm really stoked about, and that's because it's with my very good friend, Mr. John Garrett. Uh, John and I grew up together, so we've been friends for probably just shy of 30 years. And uh, thankfully with technology, uh, John and I have been able to stay in close contact because over the years, John has literally lived all around the globe. And regardless of where he was at in the world or what was going on, we've always made it a point to talk and stay in touch and know what's going on in each other's lives. And uh, John currently lives in South Korea, where he and his wife run a brewery that they literally built from the ground up. And thankfully, uh, they decided for the holidays to come back stateside to visit family. And uh, so I talked with him and we agreed to, to mask up and, and sit down socially distanced. Thankfully, my microphones reached far enough. Uh, but this was the first time I was able to see my, my good friend in almost four or five years in person. So it was super awesome to be able to to just catch up with an old friend and at the same time I think we got a really awesome interview out of it so uh, as I always say I'll just let that interview speak for itself so without further ado let's chat it up all right ladies and gentlemen I am here with my very good friend Mr. John Garrett John thank you so much for coming on the podcast thanks for having me Scott it's good to see you yeah, this is, uh, I think, maybe the first we've seen each other in four or five years, uh, for good reason. Uh, you know, you live halfway around the world uh, in South Korea, and uh, this is my first live interview uh, since March, so thank you for being my, uh, my first live interview in, in quite some time. Yeah, as we were talking before, um, I'm, I'm living in Korea, and they've, for better or worse, and Right now, it looks like for better, they've handled the virus much differently. So, uh, coming to America, I'm I, I, I I'm a little bit more comfortable, sure. you know, uh, wearing a mask, going places, just make sure my hands are washed because it's such a small country. 
we'll probably get into that later, but right. you can't really just stay home. Sure, sure. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that as we as we get into the conversation. Um, so when, you know, you and I grew up together, and when, when you think of growing up in the UP, what kind of stuff comes to mind for you? What sort of like key memories stick out? Nature. Nature? Yeah, it's... It's all about the forest, you know. Um, let's be honest. You don't live in the UP for its uh, fine dining. <laughs> Not to say that there aren't great restaurants here, but, right. you know, it's more remote, you know. And it's all about the land. It's all about the trees and the wild animals in sure. the UP. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I think a lot about, um, like, when I think back on growing up and, and when I think of you, I, I think of hockey. I think that's actually where we kind of first met was playing hockey. And a lot of actually friends that I have to this day are, are kind of from that original crew of us that, that grew up playing Daha hockey and, and traveling places and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I certainly agree with you also on, on the nature front. I mean, because at least back in our day, your parents kicked you out of the house and said... Don't come back until, you know, lunch or dinner, I'll holler for you, go outside and play, you know, that type yeah. of thing. I mean, I remember, you know, things like uh, having my dog outside and got porcupined, you know, and <laughs> right. me going out with my, my my neighborhood buddies trying to hunt the porcupine and, you right. know, uh, yeah, you know, having a skunk in the house or... <laughs> an otter in the house or a bat in the house, you know, they, they weren't everyday things, but uh, definitely yearly occurrences that would happen, you know? Right. And it seems like even when I think back on just those, those uh, non like monumental moments of just like hanging out, you know, it might be on the boat, you know, cruising the river, sitting on the dock, having a dock talk at your place, or even just swimming in the pool or messing around. It was always something outdoors as opposed to really being indoors. So, yeah, yeah, I, I was thinking about that. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, especially in this area, uh, Dickinson County, there are a lot of people who live in the city, and then there's a handful of people who live in Brighton Township, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm definitely one of those uh, Brighton Township boys. So, yeah, I, if I ever wanted to get something, I had to ride my bike about a half hour into town to get it, you know? Right. <laughs> so, when you finished high school, you ended up going to Wabash down in Indiana. Was it a conscious decision for you, like you wanted to get out of the UP? Or was it just more something kind of about Wabash led you there? Well, it was a little bit of both. Uh, my parents are transplants. Right. They're both Hoosiers. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess you could call them Upers now because they've lived most of their lives. In I was going to say, I think they've lived here longer than they lived in their in their home state. <laughs> Absolutely. They, they love it here. So, you know, I have my grandparents down in Indiana. So I always felt like there was, there was a, a reason to visit there. But uh, I decided on liberal arts education. Uh, I felt that I would, I would do much better in a small environment, you know, where the classes are are managed a lot more tightly and you know um and it was so you know if if i would go to class and i wasn't prepared for the lesson the professor would call you out sure right sure. in front of everyone so you would learn very quickly that oh this is a place where you have to be responsible certainly and it was an all 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 male school as well what was that experience like for you um 
<laughs> I think it was good for me, you know, being a young guy, you know, you you tend to be very interested in the opposite sex, right? You know, and and I had I don't know what was in me, but uh, I I wasn't really interested in that kind of typical college exploit situation, you know, where everyone's doing a keg stand and getting drunk and right. That sort of thing. I mean, we did definitely do that, but <laughs> it was just guys. <laughs> right. Actually, we did the same thing. Right. We right. did the same thing as everyone else, just no girls. Right. You know. So you ended up studying theology at, at Wabash. What kind of led you down that path, do you feel? Well, I think the thing about uh, a liberal arts education is, uh, at least what they what they say is, is that... Um, it sort of trains you to be a well-rounded person. Okay. So uh, typically when you go to a liberal arts college, you're not going for, say, teaching. Sure. And then you're taking all of your credits for teaching. Yeah. And then if you want to elect something, you can. It, but at, uh, at a liberal arts college, you have to take everything. Sure. Uh, of course, you have a major and a minor, but you also have a lot of prerequisites that may or may not be uh, required at, okay. the, at the other colleges. Sure. Um, and yeah, it's just so I read a lot of philosophy, I read a lot of culture, uh, and for me, theology, you know, Iron Mountain's a very uh, religious city, I, w- I would think. There's a lot of churches here. There and, are. Oh, yeah, very, I would say actually pr- very predominantly Catholic, probably, I would say is the most fair assessment, but yeah, definitely a lot of churches. I think so. I think that has a lot to do with the Italian immigrants who came in to work in the Certainly. mines. Certainly. Certainly. Um, and, you know, my family happened to be Catholic. And I'm not going to say the most devout Catholics, but right. we would go to church regularly. So uh, also just being in nature, having this sort of awe at creation. And, you know, I I wanted to kind of just study that more. But uh, a little bit different from, say, like a preacher or priest. It, it was more dealing with uh, culture, music geography sure yeah okay i don't remember anything (laughs) well so walk me through kind of how you got into the the brewing world because i mean that's really what we're here to talk about at really the guts of this conversation so Mm. did you start home brewing when you were in college or was this something that kind of started to to become a hobby for you after you you finished school well, this started developing for me uh, at a very young age. We had uh, an exchange student from Germany. Okay. And his name was Tobias. And uh, maybe a year or two later, we actually visited his home in Germany. Okay. And his father brewed beer. And I just, even at a young age when I, I wasn't really allowed to drink, I thought that was incredible that mm-hmm. someone's like brewing their own beer. Like, what? You can do that? And also just in Germany, beer is kind of a culture uh, that it's really different from America or at least America at that time. Yeah. You know, Um, that kind of started it going. Then I went and I studied abroad in Northern Ireland. Okay. Belfast. And the Irish also have a really strong drinking culture. Whereas, so if you and I went out, I would buy the first round. You would buy the second round. And if there are more friends, they would also buy sure. it. So it's very communal. It, it has its own rituals to it. Um, and that's when I really fell in love with it. Okay. I forgot about your 
your time studying abroad in Ireland. I completely forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so many years have gone by and we've known each other so long. It's all just kind of a blur. Yeah. But um, I know what you mean. So how then, l- let's walk through a little bit. How did you end up in Korea? Because there, there's uh, mm-hmm. obviously there's a story there as to, okay, how do you make it from being in the United States to now you're, you're living in Korea? Right. Well, as I said, the liberal arts education, uh, they prepare your mind. They basically prepare you to learn and to, to try and help you become an adult. Different from a boarding school, but also different from a state's college. Maybe, sure. maybe somewhere in between. Sure. Uh, so having that understanding that, okay, this school is not training me for a job. At some point, I'm going to have to make that leap myself. Sure. So most people at Wabash... They will go to a business school, a medical school. Uh, they'll take the LSATs and go to you know school to become a lawyer. Um, so I had realized, okay, I want to, I want to be a brewer. I want to at least own a brewery, but I had no money. Right. <laughs> so you know, I, I graduated from college. I thought I was hot stuff, and right, really wasn't at all, and. Uh, that was at the recession. I yes, graduated it was. In 2008. So mm-hmm. no one was hiring. I went in for a couple interviews. Let's just call it life experience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I decided, hey, you know, I can actually go and use my diploma abroad and teach English. So actually, my sister had been doing it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of spoke with her about it and... I liked what I liked what I heard and next thing you know I was on a plane over. So how big of a like I mean you were pretty well traveled prior to that. I mean like you had mentioned you you had been to to Ireland and I know with your family you had traveled quite a bit around the world but how much of a like learning curve was there for you when you when you're you know wheels down in korea and now this is your home i mean was it was it a tough adjustment for you yeah it was really intense uh i chose to live in a city called jeonju uh it's about the size of indianapolis six hundred thousand people so a small city and there are not a lot of people who speak english and especially 10 years ago. So I would, you know, I would have to immediately learn Korean and find my places. And, you know, for the first few months, I would have to go to restaurants where the menus had pictures on them. Sure. So I could just point out what I wanted and just kind of use body language skills to to get the order through. Wow. that's It's crazy to think of, like, to, to have to, to like push through that or not push through it. I guess that's not the right word, but to, to muddle through that until you feel comfortable, like speaking the language. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're teaching English over there with the, the plan basically at that point is to save up enough money basically to make this brewery dream happen. Is that, that pretty much what the game plan was at that point? Uh, I mean, I didn't have, a step-by-step plan. Sure. I just knew that uh, this was going to be a good opportunity to make some decent money, 
get some life experience and travel. So it, it checked a lot of boxes. So I said, great, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. And when I got there, there was literally no beer. <laughs> I mean, there was definitely the sort of Korean macrobreweries. Okay. Um, but uh, nothing tasty. Okay. And so <laughs> I, I hadn't really homebrewed. I, I had done one batch before in Michigan that uh, was not necessarily great. <laughs> and, and so when I got over there, I was like, okay, well, there's no, there's no delicious beer here. Right. Anyways, so right. now it's time to, to kind of back up my thoughts and all the talk I've made to my family and start sure. homebrewing myself. So um, I ordered some homebrewing equipment and started brewing in my apartment. Yeah. And um, I loved it, you know, and it got to the point where, you know, two or three years in to living there, my buddies are calling me on Friday night. Hey, you want to go out for drinks? Uh, you know what? That's all right. I'm going to stay in and brew. And, you know, I, I put some tunes on, you know, like Miles Davis or something, and I would just brew for hours and just sure. get lost in it. Sure, sure. I mean, it, it, you you develop that passion over time. It, uh, it's obvious that it grew. Um, if I remember correctly, didn't you have a, have a one scary incident or close call? Didn't, didn't you have a, something break or something? You cut yourself pretty bad brewing some beer? Do, do I, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, yeah, that happened. So I was... Uh, I was cleaning a large glass container. We call them carboys. And um, the bottom structure is really strong. Okay. But uh, I, I didn't know until later that the side of the, the sidewalls are actually quite brittle. Okay. And basically what I did is I, when I was cleaning it, I broke it and mm -hmm. it gashed my finger. Okay. So, yeah, that was... That was the first of several scary moments yeah, in I, this hobby. I just, I remember vividly you like sending me a text message or something, or at that point it might have been like a, a Facebook messenger photo and you were like in a hospital and you were like scared. You were like, this is pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because it, um, my Korean now is practical, you yeah. know. So now I can pretty much say everything. Yeah. If you want to start talking about more in-depth uh, topics, that's hard for me. Sure. Uh, but at the time, I still didn't really know much. So, you know, I had these, I was in a large room with many hospital beds and I was in there for a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So you're over there for a few years. In that time period, you met your, your wife. Correct. Was it? It was in that first that first time that you were in Korea is when you met Hana. Yeah, I actually met her on New Year's Eve, one year after I'd already lived. Okay. In Korea, so I had kind of had a chance to kind of get comfortable with her culture, know a little bit about her language, and also, you know, as you know her, she's she's quite good at English and yes. Western culture as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Walk me through then at that point where it becomes more than just a hobby to where you're, you're coming back stateside for Brewmasters College. Walk me through how that whole transition kind of came about. Yeah, so, um, you know, for the longest time I thought I was going to go to business school because okay. breweries are a business. Right. And then it just occurred to me, why don't I just you know, go to a brewer's school. I, I know it's such a silly thing to say right now, but at the time it was 
you know, really great that, oh, I can just go to a brewery's school or a school that trains brewers in all facets. Sure. Instead of wasting my time going to business school. Right. So uh, once I found um, the right one, the right, right, right one for me, which was in Chicago, it's called Siebel Institute. I kept working, saved up as much money as I could, and got as much homebrewing experience as I could, and then I went. And okay. So what did did that course entail? What, what, what was kind of it? Was it all just based in Chicago, or, or really what, kind of what went into that, that school? So the uh, Siebel Institute is in Chicago, and actually it's just a lot of presentations. Okay. It's a lot of speakers, a lot of instructors, and you're taking notes for eight hours a day. And, you know, <laughs> you're really trying to take as many detailed notes as possible because it's really not, you're really not able to remember everything they're sure. telling you, you know. Uh, and then you do that for, I don't know, what was it, three or four months. It's, it's, sorry, it's been years now. Oh, it's okay. And then I, I selected to go to Germany as well. Okay. So, uh, there's a Dumens Academy, which is near Munich, Germany, and that's where we uh, stepped away from the sort of instruction style and started getting our hands in the brewery. So there was an actual brewery there, and we were able to brew beer. Very cool. Very cool. That must have been very fulfilling after a lot of time of like, not textbook stuff, but taking notes and being hands off. It's got to be pretty fulfilling to them be able to get hands on with it. Yeah, it was it was fun. But, you know, I think for me, it was it was a bit uh, nerve wracking because I, you know, I went to Korea with very little money. Um, and then I had all the, the money I had uh, I had saved went into this brewing school. And sure. I was like, well, okay, am I going to be able to, what am I going to do next? Right. <laughs> you know, so there's a little bit of like, oh my gosh, like this was a lot of money and right. is this really going to work? And, right. you know, um, trying, to, trying to have faith, but also trying to realize that, okay, there's a next step coming up here. So I need to kind of keep my eye on that. But of course, yes, brewing in Germany was really cool. <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> I made some really great friends. Yeah. I call them my beer brothers. Yeah. Um, we talk a lot. And actually, that was the best part of that investment because, you know, we all have different breweries of different sizes in different parts of the world. And every now and then, one of us will have a, uh, a situation and we'll just kind of have a roundtable on our chat group. Yeah. And Oftentimes, the other person knows the answer. That's awesome. That's really awesome. That's kind of worth its weight in gold, right there. Absolutely. Like you said, the you know the most valuable part. Um, so you, you mentioned just a minute ago, thinking about okay, when when beer college is done, what's that next step? So what was that next step for you then after after you finished up with schooling? So applying. So actually, while I was in Germany. I was applying two jobs in America so that I could come back to America and hit the ground running. And I, I must have applied to more than 50 jobs, sure. you know. But uh, the, brewing is, uh, I mean, it's one of the oldest um, 
occupations in the world. Like uh, they, they, they found beer in ancient Mesopotamia. Right. So uh, it's kind of an interesting field where it can be very technical, very uh, involved with mathematics and chemistry. And then there's the other spectrum where it's like, hey, man, like, you know, I, I've just been doing this ever since I was raised and I don't really know the temperature. I just get a sense for it. Sure. You know, and both of those ways can brew great beers. Sure. But, you know, being a, a, a guy who recently finished beer school, zero years of experience in a blue collar job, it's, it can be tough to get a job. Sure. Um, fortunately, uh, Bell's Brewery, they, uh, they opened up a division a new division in the Upper Peninsula called Upperham Brewery. Mm-hmm. So I was able to land a assistant brewer position there. So how did that feel for you? Did it feel kind of like full circle? Like, you know, you've, you've been around the world and back again, like to to go all of these places and do all of these things, and now you're you're basically coming back to brew beer in the UP? I mean... It was I, great. Yeah. It, I mean, it was really great, and... At the time, uh, I know that they had a focus on trying to hire people from the Upper Peninsula. So when I did get that job offer, I did feel that being from the UP was a big feather in my cap, perhaps even larger than having gone to school. Sure, sure. So obviously you didn't stay at Upper Hand uh so where did where did kind of things take you after after working? How long were you at Upper Hand? I guess a little over a year and a, a half. Over a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. So so when you when you left Upper Hand, where did things kind of take you then in that transition time? So at Upper Hand, I uh, I was an assistant brewer, which basically meant that I should assist with operations, but sure. of course not the head. So. Uh, I moved on from Upper Hand, and I took a head brewer position down in uh, Puerto Morelos, Mexico. So just outside of Cancun for a, a brewery called Pescadores. Yeah. And this was a great opportunity because this was a new brewery as well. So when I joined Upper Hand, it was a brand new brewery and literally helped to, well, I guess assisted in the first batch. And that was great. It was right. great. Uh Really love the team there. They were great. Now going down to Pescadores, another new brewery, but now I'm the head brewer. Sure. So developing the recipes, ordering, doing all that stuff. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful situation to be in. You know, to to be on the ground floor of opening these businesses. Sure. Because that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> well, and and I'm guessing it also kind of. It, it it helps you hone your craft because I'm assuming the style of beer that you're brewing at Upper Hand in the UP is probably going to be a little different than what you're doing down in, in Mexico. I'm At least that's what I'm assuming. Maybe I'm off yeah. base there. but No, for sure. Uh, I think that um, um, North American ales are very popular around the around the world right now. You look at like the American IPA yeah. or the Golden Ales or the Stouts. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of beautiful brewing traditions out there right now, very respectable. But the American craft beer movement is definitely one of the premier examples of beer right now. So, uh, being an American and learning American style brews, 
uh, was very beneficial for me because that's that's basically what people want right now. Sure. Especially in. Uh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but. <laughs> well, that's no, that's okay. So, how long were you in Mexico as the head brewer down there? Not long, six months. Six months, okay. And then, I guess what what caused you to end up leaving there after six months? What what kind of led you to move on? Um, a lot of things, uh, you know, were great, and a lot of things weren't, which is the same anywhere. Uh, right. One of the great things was, you know. Uh, after brewing, going and scuba diving, and it's one of the best diving places around. The other thing is having venomous spiders all around the brewery, and you know having to be very careful sure. <laughs> what you touch. Uh, you know, I saw like huge snakes, and uh, uh, no thanks. Yeah, so the brewery was kind of a little bit out in the in the jungle. So. Okay, uh, beautiful. But uh, I actually uh, had the opportunity. I was offered to return back to Korea okay, for a job. So I took that, you know, it was, it was a bigger brewery. It was uh, going to be more money, more responsibility. And also uh, the biggest thing was, is that, you know, my mother-in-law really missed her daughter. Sure. So, okay. Uh, we left Mexico, uh, you know, it was bittersweet. Sure, you know, but um, but fair at the at the exact same time. I mean, you know, you've mentioned all these places around the world that you had had gone, and your wife is pretty much there with you every step of the way. And as you just mentioned, you know, her her mother missed her. I mean, there. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody would fault you for that one bit. Well, and the funny thing is too, um, what we realized is is when you're working Monday through Friday. It really doesn't matter where you live. Right. Because you're not going to go out. You know, if if I'm working on Monday, I'm not going to be able to go to the beach every day. Right. Right. So um, actually, once I left that position at that uh, Pescadores Mexican Brewery, I had more time. to. to so we spent like two weeks just hanging out and it was great. Sure. Sure. So that was kind of our way of saying, well, okay, we're not going to live here anymore, but actually we could come back here, spend a couple of weeks doing nothing but vacation. Right. And, and really feel it, you know? Sure. Sure. So, okay. So you head back to Korea. You're, you're back there. And so you started working for this, this brewery in Korea. Well, actually, uh, this large Korean brewery uh, had a partnership with an American brewery in New York City. Oh, okay. So um, I actually went to New York City, and I was job shadowing for this company. And uh, honestly, it was was a little bit... uh, It was great to live in New York City, you know, like my... Hannah, my wife, she was going to the museums. I was I was going when I wasn't working. And then after that sort of internship, that job shadow, it wasn't an internship, it was more like a job shadow. It was a, it was a very interesting arrangement. Uh, we did finally uh, f- fly back to Korea. And, um, you know, the company's nice. They're nice people, but it was just really large. And uh, the kind of style they were going for wasn't really, hadn't really... I guess I had misunderstood, and perhaps they misunderstood a little bit about me. So we sort of agreed to part ways peacefully. Uh, sure. Wasn't dramatic at all. And then 
we were sort of okay. We've done Michigan, we've done Mexico. Um, what next? And <laughs> uh, Korea's market was just sitting there. And we took a walk downtown. Uh, this is the city Jeonju. So I have, I have returned to Jeonju now after three years of being gone. And I was amazed at how many tourists were there. Okay. Around what year was this then when you, <sighs> when you got back there? 2017. Okay. So 2017. So you're yeah. walking around. There's tourists all over. Yeah. And when I say tourists, mostly Korean. So mm-hmm. mostly uh, people from Seoul coming down and spending the time in Jeonju because Jeonju is one of the traditional cities in Korea, meaning they still have their traditional housing. They, uh, you can choose to wear the traditional clothes. It's a bit touristy, but it's still really nice. Uh, and then also the traditional food. You know, uh, up in Seoul, it's, it's a bit modern. So it definitely does have its own uh, character, but a lot more concrete, a lot more apartments. And in our city, we still have that beautiful, historic, you know, Korean culture. Sure. Fact. Okay, so you see all these tourists. You're, you're, you know, you're happy to be back there. So walk me through how you decide to to take that leap to to you're you're gonna make you're gonna make a run at this well i was tired of making other people's beer you know um it it was uh it was a job i took seriously and it was a job i respected but i was ready to become my own my own brewer you know develop my own recipes also be our own bosses and also just do something different and we thought a lot about it and my wife decided to join me and we were sitting in her parents house (laughs) we were living with them and we just kind of looked at each other Wednesday and said hey let's do this you know uh there's one saying I always tell myself if not now then when I like that yeah I like that I like that because if it's something you believe in, if it's something that's in your heart, if it's something that you're certain is a good thing to do, run that through that. And then, okay, if now's not the time, is it a week later? Is it a year later? When is it? Sure. I think that's really, I think that's really smart and, and really good advice. Um, okay, so you, the two of you agree, okay, we're going to make this happen. Where where does it go from there? Do you start thinking up recipes, or do you start trying to figure out financing, or, or, <laughs> financing. or, or locations? <laughs> financing that was a big thing. <laughs> oh, oh well, I mean, actually, you did really well. You hit you hit a lot of the main points. Location, location, location. Right? Those are the three things you need to care about in real estate, and then also finances. Sure. And we hit the jackpot because right now in Korea. They are uh, offering its citizens, of course, my wife is a Korean citizen, to apply for a low-interest government loan. And it's only for entrepreneurs under the age of 40. Okay. So uh, what this government is trying to do is they're trying to diversify the market. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, uh, it's still dominated by franchises and okay. large companies in Korea. Um when you go traditional, like traditional food, 
then you have your moms and your pops. Sure. But if you want to talk about like a bakery or a brewery, it's it's very unusual to have one independent even today. Wow. Okay. So so you weren't kidding when you said like you pretty much had the market cornered. I mean there there wasn't really craft breweries to be found in your area. Yeah, yeah. I mean on the on the flip side, there's also not the culture. Okay. For craft beer. Sure. I right? could, fair enough. Right. So, you know, um, there was a little bit of, okay, like this is great, but also we're kind of unsure sure. on how this is going to go. But, you know, it really it really worked out well um, because this was the city I've lived in. So now I've, I can trace back about 10 and a half years I've been sure. in this city. So, you know, I'm talking about friendships i've had for that kind of time sure business contacts so it felt like i was opening up in my second home which in fact i was and absolutely that that meant a lot to me you know sure that my brewery was going to have a story that it wasn't just hey you know i want to open a brewery i'm going to go to this city because there's no brewery there right no i lived there I, you know, I paid taxes here. Right. I, you know, I taught many students here. Yeah. So, you know, I felt like I'm part of this community, you know, even being a foreigner. Yeah. I, I do. I do feel that way. Absolutely. Do you, do you think that because you had lived there for the 10 years that it, it helped as far as finding a location? So you knew some good, like, neighborhoods and places where you might be able to put the brewery where it'd be a good fit? Absolutely. There was only one neighborhood I wanted to put it in and I found a traditional building there that you had to just be doing cartwheels at <laughs> I mean I had to customize my brewery to make it fit because okay. it's so small so does that mean when you say to make it fit because I'm I'm naive to it I'm guessing that means you've got to like figure out how to get the equipment in there absolutely okay and then you know some other things like uh, refrigeration units, you know, um, a large walk-in cooler, you know, it's it's a lot to do. You know, breweries are the uh, the startup capital required for a brewery is just tremendous. I I can't even imagine. Yeah, but it's got to also be very gratifying that it's your design. Basically, you laid out everything where you wanted it to be, and now you're going to be able to make your beer in your own place i mean that that's got to feel pretty good yeah yeah it's incredible so you you named your brewery nomadic uh-huh. why the name nomadic um so actually i was tenting in joshua tree national park and i was going through like all of these names in my head of what my brewery could be you know and i was just like you know <laughs> having an internal monologue with myself. And I was like, well, you know, what kind of symbol do I really like? What kind of symbol does my wife really like? What is, is there a symbol out there that everyone can kind of see and sort of have some kind of at least positive vibe about? Yeah. And I was in my tent and I was literally looking up at the roof of my tent and, and 
my mind actually drifted away from me thinking about names and just me being like, man, I really like camping. Like, I really <laughs> like being in nature. Like, yeah. that's literally how it happened. I was like, well, what? Wait a second. <laughs> you know, my my daydreaming right. has, has given me my answer. Okay. So yeah. Um, so on our uh, logo, it's a tent, and it's a, kind of a small, cute camping scene. And then nomadic uh, is just. A bit of a tip of the hat to how much Hannah and I love traveling, uh, how we how we've lived in many places. Sure. But also considering like you know how people used to live. You know how people used to they would they would have a winter camp. Sure. And a summer camp. Yeah. You know they would work more with nature as opposed to working against nature. I like it. I mean, I, I kind of already knew why you picked it, but I, I like your explanation even better than me just knowing <laughs> knowing why why you came up with that name. Um, did did Hannah help at all with like the logo design, or did you have somebody do that? Because I know Hannah's very talented and creative, and and she's good with that kind of stuff. So I, I'm I'm curious to know if she helped at all with that. Yeah. So we we found an independent local uh, graphic designer okay she said i mean i'm 35 so i i guess saying younger than me is not <laughs> as impressive as it used to be right we're we're starting to become the old bucks now we're not oh, young bucks anymore yeah yeah but i mean a, a young independent woman and uh, that was re- that's really important to me mm-hmm. uh being a local brewery i want to keep the money in Jeonju. Sure. So if I have to do brewery updates, if I have to do something, I want to spend my money in Jeonju. I, I don't want to go out and get the famous graphic designer from Seoul. Sure. Who's already done five breweries. Sure. Which was actually an offer. On, it was on the table. And I was like, no, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Found this this talented young woman. She, she was a little bit hesitant to take it. And then I was like, I know you can do it. I've seen your stuff. Yeah. And she hit it out of the park. Awesome. That That's really cool. So, um, how has it been working with Hana? I mean, it's it's hard enough having a, a, a marriage with somebody, but mm-hmm. then you add business into the mix, and obviously, not everything can always be sunshine and rainbow. So, how has that process been with with working with your wife on a daily basis? Really, really tough. Um, I think they say that a lot of times the first year of marriage is the hardest marriage. I've, I've heard that before. Sure. And that also might be true for opening a business together. I would, I would think that's got to multiply it by who knows how much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine having our first year of marriage and our first year working together because traditionally your first year of marriage is the first time living together. You right. know, how do you use the toothpaste? How do you... Right. Yeah. <laughs> You you figure out everybody's your 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 idiosyncrasies or your bugaboos your quirks that type of thing right right yeah yeah so I mean uh, we did really well with with the business you know we did really well but we were getting really tired and you know some of the conversations weren't very pleasant and I sort of said well wait a second I don't actually have a problem with you right now I don't have a problem with any of your your habits in the home or how your relationship as my wife affects you we're getting stressed out right now because we're talking about business dealings and these business dealings are stressful sure but if we're not careful 
that can easily sort of bleed into our marriage. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I could see that happening. Yeah. So, you know, uh, if you if you have a tough day at the brewery and you bring that home and your wife brings that home. Right. Then it can be tough, you know. So sure. we have some rules. We have uh, not necessarily rules that you can't break, but more so guidelines. Yeah. So we try not to talk about business at night. Perfect. Yeah. You know? Yep. If, if something's really pressing, then we can. But, you know... It's nighttime. Nothing's, nothing needs to get solved usually, so right. let's just sleep it off. Right. I like that. And then you can just like enjoy each other's company, which is pretty much why you got together in the first place. You know, is you, yeah. When you start dating someone, it's because you enjoy their company. Yeah. That type of thing. I mean, and also our hobbies changed. Um, we used to love motorcycling, mm-hmm. but that was when we were both... Ha- for the most part, had desk jobs. I was a teacher. I know teachers not necessarily a desk job. There is a lot of moving around. But but brewing yeah. is a monster of a job. So I don't have energy to ride a motorcycle anymore. Sure. You know? Sure. Now, a little while ago, you had kind of mentioned that, okay, yeah, it was great. There's a lot of tourists, but there's also not a real, like, you know, craft beer scene there. Right. Have you been, do you feel like you've been able to make strides in building that craft beer scene there? Or has that, has that been a struggle for you? No, we've done very well. Um, And I say that very gratefully um, because we really didn't know, you know, Um, you know, you have a city of 600,000 people. If if I can at least get 1%, you know, I can keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. So um, we were just kind of hoping for the hoping for the best not necessarily swinging for the fences and uh on opening day like we were totally overflowed and uh you know before the virus uh on the weekends you can't you can't get a seat sure sure now were you guys just strictly doing beer or were you doing any like food or anything to go with it or did that come later or how is that kind of so going back to when i decided to open up nomadic and we were sitting in my uh, parents-in-law's home. We we talked about well, if 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 my wife wants to work with me, then she's gonna be in more control. Sure. As you said, she's kind of artistic, and I said, okay, like you don't have to be my business partner, but if my business partner does something you don't like, and you're my wife coming into the business, how's that gonna make you feel? Yeah. That's basically all she had to hear, and then she's like, yeah, I want to have control. Sure. Uh. While she realized she wanted to have control, she was also very strong, ardent about we need to have food. And I said, no, I don't want to have food. We're just going to do beer. Easy, quick and easy. She's like, no. And she's totally right. Because in Korean culture, you eat and drink. Okay. It is actually unusual to go out and only have drinks. Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that I would have never known about their culture. So the pop beer culture, popular beer culture, is to go out, order a bucket of wings, right, and have beers. Okay. And then if you finish those beers, you probably order more ring rings, or you order French fries. Sure. So we are a brew pub, and what that means is we don't really distribute. Okay. We're basically uh, a venue that people come into on the weekends. We play great music we have cold fresh draft beer and we have p- 
pizza. So my wife decided, you know what? I'm not just gonna be a business partner and control the vibes in here. I'm gonna bring in the food. Okay. And she went to pizza school in Seoul. Okay. And it's really good pizza. Awesome. It sounds like like my kind of place. <laughs> Two of my favorite things, pizza and beer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and that's it, right? Uh, Koreans are not Americans. Their, their culture is Eastern, not Western. Right. But they know beer and pizza. And all we did was improve upon things that they're already comfortable with. Okay. You know? Yeah. I don't think beers and pasties would have sold as well <laughs> in Korea. Probably, probably not. Um, yeah. So... What kind of beers are, are you brewing? Have you been like like trying to keep it a little more traditional, what you're comfortable with? Or have you been trying to pick up on some of the more maybe Korean beer styles? Or I guess what, what's been your kind of brewing vibe or MO since you've, you've started this venture? Uh, traditional American, okay. which I would say like, so that would be like your IPAs, yeah. your stouts, your ambers, your browns, your darks. Um, Basically, just kind of brewing everything that I wanted to. That's okay. kind of classic American, sure. and slowly starting to expand from that. You know, imperial stouts, things like that. This last year, I've really started to uh, find a stride uh, with. I have a kind of a. I call it a Korean ale program. Okay. Um, it's not an official style. It's just something we say at Nomadic because we use organic Korean rice syrup. Okay. Um, and obviously syrup has sugar in it. And the way you make beer is by getting sugar. And you usually get that from malt, but you can also get it from other ways. So I had really wanted to do something special in Korea. I don't want to just brew American IPAs. Even though I'm an American and it's a great beer style, I was like, well, what can we do? So I'm also really into the organic movement, you okay. know? Yeah. Pesticides, herbicides, no thank you. Right. Um, I know they're needed. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm, I'm a hippie that doesn't pay their taxes. <laughs> I pay my taxes, but, you know, less chemicals, right. better. No, I, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we want to support organic movements in Korea. Sure. You know, um, just it's something that we really believe in. And I was also hoping that, okay, not only am I doing this, but I don't want this to just be like advertising. I want it to have a unique flavor profile. And it really does. It's really unique. And it's, uh, it's rice syrup. So when it ferments, that means when the yeast consumes the sugars, it's very dry. Okay. But 99% is fermentable. Okay. But that 1% has a really unique character. Kind of silky, kind of dry. And uh, very proud um, to be the first brewery to be using this syrup. Very cool. That's that's really interesting, and it, it's and you can tell that you're passionate about it. Listening to you, you describe it, so that that almost makes me more excited than you being the first. Just because, well, we've known each other for so long. So when you're passionate about something, or a friend is passionate about something, then it gets you excited about it. But. Um, We've mentioned a couple of times we've kind of glossed over uh, COVID. So, you know, things are kind of moving along great for you. It sounds like, you know, b- business is booming and then the pandemic hits. Yeah. So how, how has that been for you? So uh, Korea 
experienced. Uh, I mean, for, from what we knew at the time, Korea got hit first right. with the virus. So I remember, I remember watching in the news uh, about China and just thinking, "Man, this is nuts!" And we're really close. And then, sure enough, about a week later, it was it, it was here. And I just remember, like, there were rumors everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, there's cases in Jeonju that day, the first day anyone was really talking about it in Korea. Turns out it wasn't, but I went down to the store. I bought, like, a bunch of masks for all my employees. Sure. And I said, hey, like, if you guys want to wear the nitro gloves, like latex gloves. Yeah. Uh, but just please be careful. Please wear your masks. And uh, that's how it started. And it got to the point where... Uh, we did not allow entry unless they had masks on. Uh, once they got their table, they can take them off. I believe it's similar in America. Um, yeah, for a lot of places. But uh, from from what I know of, of Eastern culture, it was probably a lot smoother of a transition for you. I mean, you mentioned that you were able to just go down to the store and buy masks because masks are just more a part of the culture there, correct? Whether it be... Yeah cold weather or if there's smog or if people are sick people just wear masks yes a lot more over there right at least that's how i understand it absolutely uh the the mask is not a a foreign thing um over there it's 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 nothing that really sounds off that oh something's wrong right like even sometimes if if a woman has to go to the store quickly but she hasn't done her makeup she might throw a mask on just just so she feels comfortable out in public sure Sure. Okay. So COVID hits and things are starting to kind of, you got to kind of change how, how you're, you're, you're operating, so to speak. I mean, did things ever get really bad over there compared to, to here? Um, no, no, they they never did. Um, uh, Korea was, actually had already developed the testing uh, as soon as they heard China had broke up. So we, we always had testing. We never had a shortage of masks. Um, beds never really got full in the hospitals. Um, the contract tracing is really strict. So yeah, you were taught before we started uh, recording, you were telling me, uh, can you talk a little bit about that contact tracing? Cause it, it's, like night and day compared to what we have here. Uh, so, and I, I'm by no means a spokesman, so I could have a couple things wrong here. But uh, from what I understand is uh, if you are an individual who uh, does test for this COVID-19, yeah, they are going to take your phone and they are going to find all the locations you were at. So let's say... Uh, Jaemun, it's a Korean name, Okay, has the virus. Yeah. And what the government's going to do is they're going to go into his phone and they're going to see where he was. And then they send out a large alert throughout all of Jeonju. Hey, Jaemun was at McDonald's from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Okay. Anyone who is at McDonald's from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. has to come and do testing. And they know who it is because of their cell phones. Okay. You know? Yeah. And if you don't do the testing, then you can get a fine. Wow. Okay. So obviously it's, it's, it sounds 
extreme in one sense, but at the same time, it's worked. Because, yeah. like you said, you I mean, what was the, the most I think you said was like 50 people? Right? Yeah, I think, it, you know, I don't know right now. I haven't sure. checked in a couple of days. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was like definitely less than 100 people the last time I checked. You know, it never really gotten big in a city of 600,000 people. So it it is extreme. Like, look, I'm from Iron Mountain. So I, right. I, I really understand that, oh, I don't want my government watching me. And I can really respect that, you know. Right. So I think it's a hard situation of you're between a rock and a hard place. You don't right. want your government watching you. But it would really be nice to have the virus under more control. Sure. You know. So even though things the, the, there hasn't been a big outbreak, I'm assuming people have been probably traveling a lot less. You're probably just seeing less numbers through your door, even though you haven't seen like a big uptick in outbreaks. Yeah. I'm about 60 to 70% down in sales. Okay. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was really tough. Um, it's a little bit ironic because as the whole world kind of went into quarantine, there was actually, or isolation yeah. is probably a better word. It was opposite for Hana and myself because we had to pick up the slack. Sure. You know, I I could not afford to keep as many uh, team members. So sure. I had to let go of people. That was really hard. Yeah. Um, and and I didn't let go of them in the beginning. I, I held on for a few months, yeah. you know, and uh, most of them are part-time college kids. And uh, yeah, that was tough. And we basically had to do more work. So sure. Yeah. So how have you, you kind of reacted or pivoted um, since then? It's my understanding you, you've, you've now started to can your beer. Is that kind of like a response to everything that was going on? Or was that already kind of in the works before everything happened? A direct response. Okay. So, I was planning in my, in my business plan, which my business plan is not a piece of paper. It's in my head. <laughs> but <laughs> like three years down the road, I was going to can. Okay. And when I, this virus came in the brew pub, like there was no one there. And the funny thing is, is like you're actually in one way, you're happy that no one's there in the brew pub because people are taking the virus seriously. Right. But on the other hand, it's like, no one's in here. Like, how am I going to keep the lights on? Right. So uh, we actually got a coronavirus-related business loan. Okay. We used that loan to help us get a canning machine. Okay. You know, because we're, we're an independent brewery, you know. Right. We, we, got, we got some uh, money from uh, my family and my wife's family. But to be completely honest, percentage-wise, it wasn't much. Sure. So we, we always have to kind of be aware of our expenditures. Right. And that makes me even more grateful that Korea actually had that loan available. Right. So how has the response been to, to canning the beer? It's been great. Um, in the beginning, it was really slow. And actually, cans worry me more because, as I said before, we're kind of a brew pub. Right. Like, uh, most Koreans these days, they live in apartments yeah concrete rooms and they cannot wait to get out on the weekend sure you know? and uh we love being a part of that we love helping them unwind you know you put bob dylan on and you you get a couple rounds of beers down your down your uh your gullet and the 
big slice of pizza, it feels great. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. But uh, with the cans, it, it's, it's totally different. Now the Nomadic has to come into your apartment. You know, it has to be welcomed in. And how do we do that? How do we, how do we take that jump? And it's something we're kind of learning as we, as we roll. Learning as you go. Yeah. I like that. And I, I, I love that you're, you're not resting on your laurels. You know, when you're faced with an adversity with this pandemic, you're like, okay, you're going to counterpunch. You're not going to just sit back and say, well, I hope things get better. You're, you're yeah. actively doing something about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I can't imagine if we didn't have that canning machine now because that's, that's what's kind of keeping us afloat at this point, you know? Sure, sure. So a lot of it, so I would say then you would say the majority of your, your business right now is takeout or to go, basically? Are people just coming to get it or are you delivering the beers or how, how does that work? So the last few weeks. Okay. Because up until the last few weeks, uh, things had not been so bad for us since late summer. Okay. Since late summer, we hadn't had a big vi- viral surge, virus yeah. surge in our area. So... We did well enough. Yeah. Like, okay, this is enough. We have a skeleton crew. Yeah. It's just sort of like a 2020 whatever. Let's just get through it. Uh, and winter is slow. So that's why we're talking right now. Because last winter, we took a brief respite, but we came back and I didn't have to brew. So I was like, well, what's the point? Right. Right. Yeah. So what's your favorite beer that you make? The one that sells the most <laughs> and is easiest to make. And I am not ashamed to say that. Why should I be, right? Right. Um, it's such a physical process. And uh, having started it on my own, I basically have a bare bones brewery that I can do add-ons to later. Okay. You know, so I have not been able to get those add-ons yet. So like right now... Uh, one bag of malt is 50 pounds. Right. right now, I'm lifting one bag of malt seven times per brew. Okay. <laughs> one bag. And usually, it's about five bags. It could be five to 10 to 15 bags, depending on my beer. Sure. So, it's a lot of work on my back. Yeah. And even with proper lifting right. skills, sometimes you're in a small area, you can't properly squat. Sure. Sure. So. fair. That's a fair enough answer. What would you say you you enjoy most about being a brewer? Making beer. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm not trying to be. A... No, that's okay. I just, I, depending on your personality, I just feel like it might be a different answer for certain people. Some people, it might be that you create something from scratch. Other people, it might be like the physical labor part of it. Other people, it might be that you're in control. Well, you know, there's there's. A few different avenues, but again, I think it would depend kind of really on your personality. Well, beer is everything. And when I mean that, it has history, it has science, it has tradition, you know, it's blue collar, it's white collar, like it's everything. Um, as I was saying before, like a lot of people, they learn on apprenticeships. Sure. Some people learn on school. I kind of did a little bit of both, you know? Yeah. Um, making beer, you're never doing the same thing twice. Okay. You know, uh, even if you're making the same beer, you know, 
it'll be a little bit different, you know, even if it's just a tenth different. Sure. It's still different. So I'm always doing something different. Sometimes I'm working on yeast. Sometimes I'm working on hops. Sometimes I'm working on malt. Sometimes I'm just <laughs> working on electricity, trying not to shock myself. <laughs> trying. Trying. Not succeeding always. Do uh do you have any uh youper elements throughout your brewery or in your beer or anything that if, if somebody were to, to walk in off the street from you know from stateside and they, they walked into nomadic, would they be like, Holy crap, the, there's the, the upper peninsula or this is a youper place? Yeah, I have a small wind chime kind of tucked in in uh we call it our bamboo forest. So we have we have our brew pub and then we also have our beer garden. Yeah. And we have that at our beer garden. Uh, and then, you know, all of my malt comes from uh, Wisconsin. Okay. Chilton, Wisconsin. So, like, kind yeah. of mid-upper. Yeah. And then also my my hops come from lower Michigan. Okay. So, n- not UP per se, but definitely Midwest. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it kind of depends on who I'm talking to. But usually I'll say I'm from Michigan. Sure. Because uh, no one knows who the UP, what the UP is. You know what I mean? So I yeah. just don't even waste. We get time. we get left off of maps all the time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. So uh, obviously you don't, you probably don't get get home to the UP as much as you you'd like. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, it's probably been four or five years since since we've seen each other. What would you say you probably miss most about the Upper Peninsula? The fresh air, the privacy, you know the. The beauty here. I, I just go back to nature. Um, you know, I mean, the community is great. You know, the people are really nice. Uh, but my favorite part of the UP is just getting lost in the woods, you know. And I, I think I think that's really why we call it God's country. Yeah. I don't think we call it God's country because of our beautiful communities. They are great, you know. But I think it's just, for me, the... It's all about the forest. Yeah, uh, I, I, I can relate, and I think a lot of people can. Uh, I've got quite a few family members that, that live in the Chicago area, and one of my cousins, when he would come up, he would say, it's just so quiet. Yeah. Like, you know, when you're just constantly bombarded with mm-hmm. noise and stuff, like just sensory overload to come up here and just have it be quiet that was always i remember him saying that growing up he would always just comment that when he would come mm-hmm. up it's just so quiet well you know and i've traveled a lot not not in a way where i i think i'm special but in, in a way where i've seen that not a lot of places on the planet have as much forest have as much intact ecosystems as we do i mean sure we're not alaska right which is really uh, untouched but like you said, we're also not Chicago, you know? Right. So growing up, you know, having a bear in my backyard, I, as a kid, I kind of thought like maybe everyone has that. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, especially if you don't know any better. Yeah. So when you do come back to the UP, because we've got a handful of great breweries here, what, what's, your, what's your favorite Uper beer that you like? Well, I try not to take sides being in the industry, right? Right, um, but right. All, all of them are really great. No, they, they really are. Um, I think that uh, one thing that I didn't really mention was, you know, that 
I went to Korea in 2010, like the crap you're seeing in the UP was, you know, there's a little bit going on in Marquette, but that's basically it. You yeah. know, if you went into the supermarket in RML and you didn't have any craft beer. Right. You know, so while lower Michigan had had this crap beer boom for many years, the UP was kind of left out for a long time. So yeah, it's really been great to see all of these breweries popping up everywhere, including in Iron Mountain now. Yeah, I I, I got to say I love it. it it's it's great to see, and it, and you're you're right. I didn't even think about how much it's changed just since before you left. Yeah, it, it really has boomed. And I, and I think that when you're a brewer, uh, you're a little bit less pretentious about the beer. And you're a little bit more open to to just drinking another person's beer and having their interpretation on it, you know. Uh, for, for brewers, we, we usually worry about uh, uh, off flavors in beer, which basically means that the beer was not fermented properly. Something okay. something happened so that the, the yeast was not happy and therefore it just, it doesn't taste as beer should sure. in that example. But other than that, like... If your beer is more roasted than than mine would be, or if it's more hoppy, that's yeah. that's interpretation, you know. Yeah, and it it seems to me at least, you know, in in talking with you or in in knowing you for as long as I have, but the other people that I know in the UP brewing industry, a few I've even had on the podcast, it seems like every it, it, the brewing community in general is very much a like all for one, one for all. There's not a whole lot of like hardcore competition of like you know stay out of my lane it seems like everybody helps each other out and there there's really a lot of like camaraderie there within the beer industry absolutely and i I think it's something we've we've even kind of gotten stubborn about you know that we're not gonna we're not gonna allow that beautiful culture to go away We're, we're gonna we're gonna sort of stick stick to it and you know now you can see uh in america how they have the independent logo so when you buy a bottle you yeah. you know because for for the longest time people didn't know blue moon wasn't craft beer you know they, they right. didn't know that the person who owns blue moon also owns corona also owns budweiser also owns stella artois right you know? so they're going in the refrigerator thinking they got all these different options yeah they're made by the same they're made with the same raw materials a little bit of difference in the same facility sure all the money goes to europe or brazil gotcha you know, but when you buy the local craft beer, the money stays here. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, Johnny, we've hit like every box and then some that I wanted to check off and talk about. Is there anything you felt like I missed, or anything else you wanted to to touch on, or just shoot the breeze with me about? I mean, yeah, I think that um, me living in Korea, if you look at if you look at the most densely populated countries in the world and you take out like Vatican City or Santa Monica, these, these, these citadels, yeah. Korea is one of the most densely populated countries in the world. Okay. And when I come back to the UP, which is very sparsely populated, right. it is such an incredible experience, you know, just to walk down a street and not see anyone outside, you know, or, or to be in the forest and not hear an automobile. Um, and I hope that in the future 
the UP can start to, you know, take advantage of the nature in a way that is maybe more nomadic. Like, you know, uh, you've seen the co-op in Marquette. Mm-hmm. Like, how cool is it that there's local farms coming back? Yeah, or even, like, uh, farmer's markets have have had a big resurgence. There's one here in Iron Mountain. I mean, there's one in a lot of the cities around the UP where you're seeing a lot of local farms really kind of get that that yeah. opportunity to shine. Yeah, and I, I, I think that, you know, I don't know. Um, what does it mean to be in the Upper Peninsula, like, you know, what what do we want that to mean as the people who grew up here, lived here, and, and are hopefully going to be here the rest of our lives? You know, I, I live in Korea, but I'm trying to get to a situation where I'm spending every year multiple months in the UP because I like it here so much. So for me, as a UPer, now that I'm 35, I'm, gonna learn, I, I'm starting to ask myself, what is my relationship with the UP going to be? You know, is it going to be a vacation spot? Is it going to be something else? And I, I love it up here. You know, like I was thinking the other day about deer camp. I haven't been able to come for three years and, you know, I I know it's kind of been tough sledding for a lot of deer hunters lately, but you know, the deer is only half of the, half of the celebration, isn't it? You know, it's it's being out in the woods. It's, it's being with your friends and your family and that's, that's culture. And a lot of places don't have that. So, uh, I don't mean to say that we don't have culture. We have great culture up here. We have fantastic culture, but, uh, I'm excited at the local bakeries popping up, local cafes, local breweries. This is, this is, really what I think is going to make the UP even more special. I would agree with you completely. So I have to ask you then, I guess I'll, I'll wrap up my final, my final question for you. And it's the same one that I always ask everybody. And that's how do you like your pasty? Do you, are you a ketchup guy or do you eat them plain or do you, do you spice them up? How, how do you like it? Uh, I like taco sauce. Taco sauce. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it, I, I can eat ketchup or I can eat gravy. I'm fine. Like I can do anything, but, uh, I like taco sauce. Maybe it's my, the, my time down in Mexico. Maybe that's it. Does, uh, does your wife, Hannah, what'd she think of pasties the first time having them? Does she, she like them? Yeah, she does. She really likes them. I, they're great. They're wonderful. Do you ever get them sent to you in Korea or anything like that? Or do you, know, do you just save them as a delicacy when you come home? Yes, that's exactly what I do. I'll actually probably pick up tonight before I head back out, so. Perfect. Well, John, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on the podcast. I feel like this interview has been years in the making, but, I mean, it's also just awesome to be able to sit down with you for an hour and talk, and it's not over FaceTime or, yeah. or on the computer because you live in halfway around the world. You and I don't really get to see each other all that often, so this is, besides the podcast, it's been just really really great to just be able to spend some time with you so thank you very much i appreciate it my pleasure and that's going to wrap things up for this week's episode i just want to give another huge shout out to my buddy john for taking the time to sit down and talk with me and as some of you listening might know that interview was literally years in the making uh because i wanted to to sit down with john and and interview him like right away Uh, when I started this podcast, but 
he was in the beginning stages of, of following this dream with his brewery. And to his credit, he said, no, he said, let's hold off. He said, I want to wait and talk to you once, once I have this brewery up and running so that we can truly tell the full story of it, which I'm obviously glad that he kind of, you know, talked me down from, from doing the interview too soon. And really at the end of the day, I'm just super proud of my friend for, for realizing a dream and, and seeing this through to the end. So Johnny, I love you, buddy. And like I said, I'm, I'm super proud of you. Okay, a little housekeeping per usual. Um, I want to hear your thoughts, questions, comments, takeaways, or maybe you have a suggestion on somebody else I should interview. Uh, so you can drop me a line at chattituppod at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, just type in the Chatted Up podcast and you should be able to find me. But other than that, I'm your host, Shooter, reminding you to have a Merry Christmas, keep your chin up, and your eyes forward. <laughs>